One day in August, Al Condrash was wandering through Woolworths without a penny to spend when he saw a small hammer. It was not a toy, but a real hammer, and he was possessed with a longing to have it. He believed it was just what he needed by which to break the monotony and with which to make something. He gathered some first-class nails from Foley's packing house where the box makers worked and where they had carelessly dropped at least 15 cents worth. He had gladly gone to the trouble of gathering them together because it had seemed that a nail, as such, was not something to be wasted. He had the nails, perhaps a half a poop of them, at least 200 of them, in a paper bag in the apple box in which he kept his junk at home. Lightning recap. In William Soroyan's The Parsley Garden, a boy steals a hammer from a store, gets caught, and tries to make it right. No, you've got a little time. No, you've got a little podcast. This is Short Story Short Podcast. I am Hugo-nominated fanzine writer Christopher J. Garcia here today with... Um, nominated for Best Person in the World, Christy Baxter. I mean, it's just an honor to be nominated, but I'm <laughs> going to win. <laughs> Uh, more likely than I am and uh, so (laughs) thank you for listening and you know this week has been just crazy whack funky there's been love there's been life there's been death what what story should I read to coalesce all of those into a 1,200 word story the perfect coalescing story I think in my the very humble opinion of someone who is nominated for best person in the world would be the parsley garden by william soroyan whose name i desperately hope i am pronouncing correctly because you uh, work for uh, his people (laughs) (laughs) and you are pronouncing it as well as i do which is neither condemnation nor praise (laughs) (laughs) i'll take it i'll take it (laughs) i've got a lot to say about the parsley garden because one i look at it every day staring longingly but it's a story that is not quite a coming of age story but it is a coming of realization of the world story and while those diagrams then a whole bunch it's it's really slightly different the angle that Soroyan takes towards the realization of what someone is or will become. That is a a fantastic way of putting it. I think it's definitely got that element of coming to age and that you discover something new about yourself, but it's also in in the way that it's discovered, it's something about yourself is instead of like, you know, a lot of coming of age is opening up to the world. In this case, it's hardening to the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is actually very interesting if you look at it in a couple of different realms. One is it is William Soren was always known for sort of his hopeful, not quite Horatio Alger, hard work will make you su- succeed thing, but more of a the world is in essence beautiful and good, but and that exists in all strata of society. But here, this one is very specifically about the immigrant experience. 
And I think that's where Soroyan, uh, the son of two immigrants, uh, born here, though, in Fresno, California. And he sort of bubbles this story up through this lens of something that's very, very relatable. When you do something wrong that you don't necessarily think is wrong and you get caught. But the difference is how an immigrant child is treated during that scenario. And that what we see here is just so beautifully done. And I, I like things. <laughs> yes, I like things when they're, when they're beautifully done too. And this was very much so. It's this, this sort of treatment wherein he's both uh, being sort of excoriated by say, you know, the security manager and such, but also ignored. So it's like, he's being told, you, you've done something wrong, you're bad, but also it's not even important enough for me to pay any attention to it, which is sort of mm -hmm. a, a double slap there in the face. It's, it's, it's one or the other, you know, pick one. Either <laughs> what I did isn't important enough to pay attention to, or it's so bad that you need to haul me in and give me a talking to, but you know, it, it's gotta be one side or the other. Mm -hmm. this, this kind of game playing manipulation of having someone stand in silence for 15 minutes until you can get to them because what you're doing is too important is it's just a little, uh, it's, a, it's a power play on a child who, who the hell needs to do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. And the markers here are great. I mean, we have, everything has its signals. And here you have the signal of sort of mainstream America. I mean, what was more American in the 1920s, 30s than Woolworths? Just massive indicator of this is America and not the Childish Gambino version. But at the same time, you have his family with their parsley garden, which isn't just a parsley garden. And I'm very particular about what you call gardens. And how the mother speaks in particular uh, with that sort of, I want to call it universally ethnic uh, English speaking, <laughs> where you're leaving out articles and so forth. And uh, except for Germans where they add articles, uh, which is great. <laughs> it's, it's very German. Yeah. But I think here what's beautiful is that it feels as if he is living in two different worlds. He is living in this world of the Central Valley immigrant lifestyle, which is what he grew up as. And he's living in this Central Valley uh, Anglo world that is represented by the manager and the other worker at the Woolworths. And I love that. Uh, I did want to note that I have this kind of like headcanon going on wherein Al's mother named the parsley garden the parsley garden because it started with just parsley. Mm. And so it's kind of like how we call the gas station up the road by what it was two owners ago. <laughs> That's actually a fair point. It's there is something about naming that always gets me is that you are you are always what you started out as. Mm -hmm. And that now I had a headcanon. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. I love giving out headcanons. Mm, canon. And there is no canon. That is to say, everything is canon. Uh, thank you, Joss Whedon. Um, but 
really important to this story, not only is the setting, but it is this view of a kid experiencing the idea of the inevitability of conflict. And that is a heady topic when once you start digging into it. Yeah, this kid's got a lot on his shoulders here and his decisions are, are carrying a lot more weight than the average little kid um, just because of, you know, his family's situation and, you know, the, the opportunities that are not necessarily available. And so to see him swat away a potential opportunity, like in a way your heart kind of breaks, but in a way you also cheer him. <laughs> Like, no, don't work for people who don't respect you. Go for it. You, you know, go on with your bad self. I don't know. <laughs> All my slang is from 1997. So, yeah, it's just this, this feeling of you're torn, just kind of the same way that he must have been. I mean, it, it, it's not really explicit in the text, but it must have been really hard for him to give up a job where he could have bought 10 hammers with everything, you know, he was making every day. 10 hammers mm -hmm. a day a 10 hammer a day job. And to turn that down takes a lot of principle and it's because they treated him poorly. And honestly, I think that, that when it comes down to it, he couldn't really, the, the character couldn't elucidate this, but it's because they don't respect him no matter what. And mm -hmm. he's not willing to work for people who don't respect him, which cheers. Yes. Uh, I think part of that is also this idea of work does not, or reward does not redeem you. And that, that sort of idea, he still hates them and even says he does. And I think this idea of an 11 year old hate is probably different than the rest of ours. <laughs> it is both more all encompassing yet probably more fluid. Um, cause he hated them before he went back and did the thing. And cause he really wanted that hammer and he left money on the table, which that's big. But this idea that he had to go back to redeem himself to them, but they could not redeem themselves to him through their offer. That is, that is, I love that. <laughs> yes. And I think that's one of the things that Sororian does really well is he understands that there is always a asymmetric path between classes. And here that is really obvious because you take who is more or less representing the most powerless group in the area. He represents that each group that is operating in this story has their guidelines that they must follow and even al recognizes they didn't necessarily do anything wrong in their guideline and he kind of did but he made up for it so it's a really big difference i think and soroyan noticing that probably only could happen from the fact that he had all of these experiences where he was al yeah i mean even if he never stole a hammer which we don't know do we <laughs> I'm pretty sure he did at some point. Probably did. <laughs> <laughs> well, whether he stole a hammer or not, he definitely has his finger on the pulse of what it is like to grow up 
in that particular environment. Um, and I feel like there's, there's that, that extra drive for redemption that Al doesn't really specify, but I think that Sororian, it's something he wants you to consider that extra drive for redemption, because in so many communities that are stereotyped, one represents all. <laughs> and so, you know, he has, I think that following him along, it's not something he can really uh, speak of. It's not something he can put into words, but Al knows that the people who think badly of him for stealing are now going to incorporate that into their experiences with people like him going forward, as is the nature of stereotype. And yeah. so I think there's, there's that extra drive to prove that he can be a good person because he feels like he represents, you know, his, his people. And the thing is, is that I think he's very disappointed in the end because I think he realizes that when you do something bad, you represent all your people. When you do something good, you represent yourself. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And there is a sort of aspect of after school special to this, uh, which is important to note because Hank Soroyan, I believe the nephew of either the nephew or the second cousin of William Soroyan made an after-school special out of this in 1993. Oh my god. Is this available somewhere? Can I see it somewhere? Is it like on YouTube or? I think it is on YouTube actually. Um, oh my gosh. I need to see that. That's fantastic. Yeah. And it's really good. Um, I want to say it won an Emmy. Uh, but it may have been a Golden Globe, uh, which worlds apart. Um, but it's it's really this idea of a a kid who is experiencing the world for the first time in a way, or at least this aspect of the world, really does translate. And it's a fantastic little little short film. Uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, find it. It's on something. Um, well, I'm on Hank Sorian's NBC, and I'm seeing that he did Muppet Babies. Yes. I had no idea. Did I tell you one of the other things a Sorian family member did? Mm -mm, I don't believe so. Ross Bagdasarian uh, was a musician, and his, he is better known as Dave Seville, the creator of the Chipmunks. Chipmunks! Yes. <laughs> and that is the younger cousin of William Soroyan. <laughs> yeah, Soroyan, of course, over the years, we'll be doing, as many as we manage, we'll be doing more Soroyan, of course, because I have all of his stuff um, and I can read it at work. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the beauty of Soroyan's short works is that he is able to take characters of all classes and all sorts, make them relatable to every other class, while at the same time, lightly demonizing every other class. And I think that ability is really, really key to making his text work. Yeah, it, it, because it, it touches on, um, I think it touches on both our optimism and our cynicism. <laughs> So both of these things that are naturally uh, kind of dwelling within us in, in varying amounts. And I was just thinking that my statement about um, immigrants having to prove themselves 
uh, for their, you know, entire population. I was like, damn, I'm cynical. (laughs) (laughs) You are. But you know what? (laughs) I get it. Some of us, some of us are Gen X by birth. Others by, uh, by existence. In our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I am. And you know what? You're, You're better off for it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I'm right on the cusp. I'm an 82 baby, so I'm oh, really close to Gen X. Oh, okay, there we go. I'm really yeah. close to Gen X. I was old enough to sort of kind of understand Reality Bites when it came out. Why do we always talk about Gen X and Reality Bites? Why is this? A- I'm doing this, too. <laughs> Why um, do I make this happen? Well, because it was our Woodstock. Hey, 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 Christy. Hey, 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 what? Got anything else on this year's story? Um, I just really enjoyed it. It, it had a good flow. Uh, I think that the, it was true to life and not too optimistic because I think if the ending had been, if you will forgive me, too after school special, <laughs> then it wouldn't have been as believable. Uh, and so I really think in that way, it gets to the, the heart of the human experience with cynicism. <laughs> oh, I like it. <laughs> All right. Christy. Yes. What should we 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 what? We weed. Take two. What (laughs) should we weed next week? (laughs) Mr. Death by Alex E. Harrow, which is Hugo nominated. That's right. After a brief jump into the Hugo nominations with Unknown Number, we are diving in headfirst. And we're going to hit our heads on the cement in the pool at the bottom, but it's going to be okay because this is always a fun ride. That's right. It's going to be science fiction stories and fantasy stories and stories that science, blend science fiction stories. and that. Yes. Um, <laughs> there is actually, I'm just going to say it right now. There are no genres. Um, it's all uh, just memoir. I'm a, I'm a, I have my, but my student loans. That I'm, <laughs> that I'm paying for, for, for my, my MFA in genre fiction. Did you just invalidate that completely? Right after calling me an honorary Gen Xer, you invalidate <laughs> my degree. Then I'm I, completely on brand. Uh. You really are, yes. You are both <laughs> optimism and cynicism wrapped up in a beardy package. And on that <laughs> highly accurate note (laughs) (laughs) this has been short story short podcast